I invite you to turn today to James chapter 4, and we'll talk about just that. In our series of Faith Works, how our faith in Jesus Christ continues to change our lives from the inside out. We're going to look at what James has to say in James 4, verses 7 through 10 today on this very idea, draw near, draw near to God, truly know who he is, um, to be like him, and to see his, his, the way that, that he can change our hearts and lives. James says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word now for a few minutes. Thank you for what incredible access you have given us to the word of God, where we know in many times past, in many countries all over the world, and even today, there is very, sometimes very limited access to your word. And we thank you for the opportunity you allow us to live here and now, where, where if we're honest, sometimes maybe it's oversaturated, we, we forget how much of a blessing it is. Lord, help us to not live that way. And help us now to take these things to heart. Would you speak to us through your word today? Would you guide my thoughts and words today, Lord? Help me not to get in the way of what you want to do. But would you do your work in each and every one of our hearts? Lord, the only way to true joy and contentment and fulfillment is in you. We ask that you would fill us with a fresh vision of you today. For one who doesn't know you as Savior, shine the light of the gospel in their hearts today. And show them their need of eternal security in you. Lord, for Christians today, would you challenge our hearts and our view on sin? Would you help us to hate sin more and love you more as we draw closer to you every day? And Most of all, Lord, we ask that you would just help us to leave here different than when we came in because we have heard your truth, you have applied it to our hearts, and we have positively reacted to that and responded to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wanted to be closer to someone, and so you made it a priority to get with them, you know, to spend time with them, and, and to really get to know them, to dig in a little bit? You know, you, you did what it took to get into their life. Probably, Many of you who are married in this room, there's somebody like that in your life, I hope, right, that you spent time getting to know them. Well, this past week, I was sitting in our living room um, in my chair, and our two girls, Joanna and, and Chloe, were in there playing, and Joanna had been sitting on my lap, and we were enjoying some time together, which very rarely happens because Joanna is go, go, go all the time. And so she preferred to get down and play. Well, when she got down... Chloe saw her opportunity, and so she climbed up my lap to sit and, and enjoy, and as soon as that happened, you know what happened, right? Joanna looked, whipped around, and that was not cool anymore, right? And she wanted to be where Chloe was, 
And so she very loudly made her protestations to be up there as well. So you know what? I got to enjoy both of them. And I can do that still because they're still very young, right? They both still, I could hold them both at the same time. We enjoyed spending time drawing closer, drawing nearer together just by spending time together. We understand the importance and the process of drawing near to another person. We need to be with them. We need to be engaged with them. To, we need to be in an atmosphere that promotes the growth of that relationship. However, when it comes to God, you know, isn't it sometimes funny that we seem at a loss about that? That, that it's like we, we can't always piece together how to draw nearer to God. In fact... Sometimes we look at our lives and we wonder, where is God? Maybe we remember a time when we felt close to God, and we don't feel that way anymore. In those times, we ask ourselves, how do I get back? Or how do I find God? God has not left you, He's not hidden Himself. And he's not made it impossible to enter his presence. In fact, he is readily available for a close and deep relationship with you. And more than that, he has provided the way for you to have that access to himself. And so here, James continues his look at how faith works itself out in, true, in a true and right relationship with God. And that and that, that has ongoing benefits and ramifications of being close to God. And what we see here is that because nearness to God is found in his holiness, I must place my trust in him for salvation and seek his likeness and sanctification to enjoy true closeness to him. We can't be close to God if first we don't know God, if we don't have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That's the idea of salvation. But we can't truly be near God if we will not be like God. That's what we mean by sanctification, that we're growing in him. And so we'll see that what what, what it is that we need to do here in this passage. Because in these verses here, we have have four verses, 7 through 10. James, I've told you at the beginning of this series, James is is a book of action. In four verses, you find in the the Greek text, translated here in our English, 10 commands. Ten of them. Now I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's that's an exodus. But there are ten uh, uh, imperatives given to us if we want to be near to God. And we'll see through these ten imperatives those things that come into our lives because we are near to God. So in verse 7, the first thing we see is that nearness to God in our lives guarantees victory in our lives. James says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Those are two of those, command, those ten commands. What we saw at the end of verse 6 last week, when James was talking about this conflict that was going on in the church, we saw the greater grace of God. That, that above the sin and above everything else in our lives, God gives greater grace. He gives grace to overcome these things. He gives grace and strength in these things. God's grace is available freely and unlimited to us for all that we need, for our salvation and our sanctification. And through his grace, we can be rescued from our sin and eternal death. 
that we do not need to live in conflict with him or with others. And instead of living for ourselves, we can live in his grace consumed with him. So James says, because of that grace, this is what we should do. In verse 7, he begins that, what we have there translated as the word, therefore. And the word therefore always connects us to what's just happened. So because of the grace of God, because God gives us the greater grace to be closer to him, we should do what? First, we submit to God. This is how we, be, that's how we draw near to God. We submit to him. True victory in our lives comes from being near to God. And that nearness is found when we submit to God. The word submit here comes from a Greek word that is primarily a military term. That word means to rank under, to subject, and to obey. And what it is is a willing and voluntary act to put yourself under another person. This word is used in other places of the New Testament. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 51, it speaks of Jesus and his relationship to his parents. Then he, that's Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject, there's that word, to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Jesus, the creator of all things, the redeemer of all men, who would be the redeemer of all men in his sacrifice on the cross, subjected, submitted himself to his parents. Romans, Paul writes in Romans 13.1, he uses this, to, this word to describe our relationship to government. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And so as long as our government is not telling us to do things that are unbiblical, what are we to do? We're to submit to those who are over us. Paul also uses this word in Ephesians chapter 5 when he's describing the relationship of the husband and wife and how that pictures the church. And of course, uh, he's talking about how husbands, he will, after this passage I show you, talks about how they're to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He says first in Ephesians 5, 22 and 24, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So submission involves the one under another willingly giving himself to that cause. And we understand that, as I said, this primary military term, we see that still played out in our world today. When a person enlists in the military, what is he doing? He is placing himself under his superior officers. And if you go into boot camp thinking otherwise, you're going to find out really quick that's not the way it works, right? You're going to find out very quickly that you, in enlisting, have said, yeah, I'm going to submit myself to the authority. You know, I always chuckle when, when, you're at, when you go to Bible college, like I did, and, and guys say, this place has too many rules, I'm going to go join the Marines. And they go and they do that, and I say, I hope that works out for you, Right? Because you thought this place had a lot of rules. Well, if we want a relationship with God, if we truly want to be close to God, we must submit ourselves to him. True salvation from our sin is confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and submitting our, our lives to him. When you come to a saving knowledge of Christ, you are not just 
adding on to a pantheon of things that you hope will get you to heaven. You are saying to Jesus Christ, you are the only Lord of my life. You are the only one that I obey. You are the only one who can save my soul. If we want to see true victory through God's grace in our lives, we must truly submit ourselves to God as our creator, redeemer, and king. You don't just take Jesus as part of your life. He is your life. One commentator said, the essence of unbelief is failure to submit to God's law and his righteousness. At the core of of an unbelief in God is saying, I'm not going to submit myself to God. And we see that in our world all the time, right? That, that, That we come up with every other reason how we got here. Why? Because if we're not created by a God, then we're not accountable to God. We don't have to submit ourselves to him. At salvation, you are saying to God that he is right, that you cannot save yourself, that you are enslaved to your sin, and you ask for new life in him that you may be his child. And then you are freed to serve him in submission to him. But we must always remember that is our purpose. Jesus did not save us to serve ourselves. We are forever in submission and service to him alone. And in this glorious new life, there is victory over the enemy. Nearness to God, as we said, guarantees victory. James continues on, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The second command in this verse comes with a promise. That in our submission to God, we can resist the devil. And that word resist means to oppose or to stand against Now, back here in the first six verses of chapter 4, James was addressing friendship with the world and how that is enmity with God. And just as friendship with the world is that enmity with God, submitting ourselves to God is a declaration of war against the the enemy of God, and that is Satan. So you can't be in the middle. I told you last week, there's no neutral when it comes to God. We're either following him and with him or against him. The same is true when it comes to Satan, to the devil, to the the enemy of God. You're either with him or you're against him. They are mutually exclusive. The the, The expectation of one placing his faith in Christ is then that he will resist the devil. Do you realize that ever since the fall of man, mankind has given into and believed the lies of Satan over and over and over again? You and I do it in our lives. Turning to Jesus Christ, though, means to resist the devil, and we are guaranteed victory over him. If you resist him, he will flee from you. Now, it's important, though, that we take this statement in its full context. It is so much easier, and probably so often we hear this verse and we remember it. What part of this verse do we remember? We remember what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? And is that an important thing that we need to do? Is that an important promise from God? Yes. But we need to remember the context. Because it's, why is it so much easier to hear the second part of that verse? Because it puts all the power in our hands. I got news for you. The devil is not scared of you. He's not scared of me. He's not scared of the most spiritual person we can muster up in our lives. You know why? Because he has been tricking and fooling people 
God's creation ever since the fall of man. Satan is a powerful foe, not as powerful as God. He is not all powerful, but certainly more powerful than us. He knows our weaknesses and our frailties. And do you ever realize that Satan doesn't fight very fair? We are God's personal creation. And because you are God's personal creation, he will attack you relentlessly. Whether you know him, whether you know God as your Savior or not. And in your own strength, you cannot defeat him. Sure, you may stay his hand for a little while, but there comes an end to your strength. And I know you've experienced this, as have I, that you've faced something in your life. There has been a particular area or battle or maybe multiple of these in your life that you have tried to gain victory over and you have failed over and over and over again. And sometimes you have have really gotten serious about it. And you say, I will never, ever, 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 ever do this again. And then five minutes later, you ever. Or maybe you make it a week or a month or a year or three years. Hey, I'm doing pretty good. And boom, just like that. You're right back in. And you even told yourself that you hated what you were doing. And you hated the way it made you feel. And you hated this and you hated that, but it was never enough. You know what you need? You need the grace of God. You need the power of God in your life. You need a submitted life to him. At salvation, God gives to you the victory through Jesus Christ. No longer are you destined for hell and separation from God forever. That must change because of who God is and what he has done. And do you realize that when you submit yourself to the feet of Jesus Christ, when you submit yourself to God, do you know who that puts the devil eye to eye with? Not you. God himself. And so what must the devil do? According to verse 7, he must flee because he cannot stand before the presence of God. Go back to, to the picture of one who is submitted under the authority of another. If, if someone who is over you in authority tells you to do something and it doesn't go well, who takes the heat? Do you take the heat? No. The person who told you to do it, right? Because you're submitted to them. Now, if you go off and do your own thing, who's going to take the heat? You. When you and I submit ourselves to God, then we can have victory over Satan. Why? Not because of us, but because of him. And in the presence of Almighty God, the devil runs away. When we submit ourselves to to God, that is where the victory comes. And in the lives of, of of us as Christians, sometimes we try to take back that control. We go along and, you know, after a while we feel like, hey, I got this. I got this whole living for God thing. I can figure this out. I don't really need God. We feel like there's maybe even something or or person or status or experience that we need. What I really need is that. I, I need that in my life. You know what we really need is more of God. We so then what do we do? We disbelieve the goodness of God who is our all in all, and we give ourselves to sin. And when we fail in our lives to continually submit to God, we begin 
to fail. We begin to see ourselves losing battles over sin. We begin to see that we do not grow in the Lord as we should, that we're not as near to God as we once were. And we begin to see strife with others pop up because we're living for ourselves. And we have to remember that what is true for salvation is true for our continued sanctification. And that is this, as Warren Wiersbe said, that unconditional surrender is the only way to complete victory. If you want to see victory in your life over sin, you need to unconditionally surrender yourself to the Savior. It's true for our eternity, and it's true for how we live in light of our eternity. And as we submit to God and his grace, and then resist the devil in that same grace, we will see this promise fulfilled that he will flee. The devil has no choice but to obey Almighty God. Do you want to see true eternal victory in your life? Then take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do you want to see true lasting victory over sin, Christian? Then submit to God every day. And in so doing, you will find true nearness to God that guarantees you true victory over sin. And as we submit to God and we begin to, and we, in his power, resist the devil, we too need to adopt God's view on sin. And we see, secondly here, that nearness to God necessitates in our life a hatred of sin. James says in verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So in verse 7, we have the response of the devil as we, as we submit ourselves to God. As we submit ourselves to God and resist him and resist the devil, he will flee from us. But here we have the response of God to those who draw near to him. God is unchanging. He always has been, and he always will be. So when we see the command of how to draw near to God, who is the command given to? He is given, it is given to us. You realize that when we are away from God, it is not God who has moved. It is us. That we have wandered from him, that we are in sin. And so if we will draw near to him, He will draw near to us. If you pursue him, you will find him. If you submit yourself to him and resist the devil and seek to be close to him, you will be. But to do so, you must understand what James says in verse 9. You must take God's view on sin. You have to understand that sin, anything that, that we think or we say or we do that disobeys God, sin is what separates us from God. For God is holy, that is, he is set apart from sin. We are sinners, and so in order to draw near to him, we must properly view our sin. And James, in verse 9, talks about some of these actions that we take. I'm sorry, the end of verse 8, that we take against our sin. It says, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James calls on his readers and to us today to cleanse and purify ourselves. And remember, James wrote to a Jewish audience here initially. And so the Jewish audience is very familiar with this idea of cleansing one's hands. Because in the law of God, God put forth that the priests were required to cleanse their hands before they went in to, to, to partake in the worship of God in the tabernacle and in the temple. And that was a picture of them cleansing themselves of the filth of their sin. We have to understand that sin keeps us from God. And so we must be cleansed. 
So how do we cleanse, how do we find cleansing from our sin? Do we do enough good things? Do we perform enough religious rituals? Do we go and tell a spiritual authority about our sin? No, what we find is that the work of cleansing doesn't belong to man, it belongs to God. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us ourselves and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, that word means to say the same thing about our sin that God says, he will forgive our sin, and he won't just forgive it, then he will cleanse us. He will make us new and clean and whole. He will make us fully able to be close to him. So James says here in verse 8, to cleanse your hands, and he addresses this to you sinners. And this is an interesting word that's specifically used in the New Testament only of those who do not know the Lord. So what he is saying is that if you want to be close to God, you must first experience the cleansing of God at salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ can wash away your sins and make you whole. It is then that you can experience his closeness. James then says, purify your hearts, you double-minded Only James uses this word double-minded. It literally means double-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D, sold. And it's used here and back in chapter 1. And it gives the idea of one who wavers. And, And here, considering the context of the passage, it brings back what James has just addressed of those who were friends of the world. If you want to be close to God, you must be of single-minded devotion to him. Your allegiance must be pure. It must be free from other masters. For it is impossible to serve both God and sin. It cannot be done. And if you tolerate sin in your life, you cannot be close to God. If you, as a Christian, continue to carry out sinful practices willingly, you cannot draw near to God. And you say, okay, let's stop right there for just a minute because I'm a Christian and I've sinned a lot of times. But what is, what is the habitual practice of your life? I'm not asking for how you did in one particular instance, in one particular moment, but between you and the Lord, how do you live your life? Do you live it in such a way that you, you, you give in and indulge to sin over and over and over and over again? Or is there a continual fight for growth in the strength of God? There is nothing wrong with struggling for victory over sin in God. There is everything wrong with it doesn't really matter. And that speaks of a deeper heart problem. The cleansing and purification of our lives in Jesus Christ has practical ramifications. That with God's help, we must take action to eradicate sin from our lives. And that is a nasty process sometimes, isn't it? You ever found that the more time you spend in God's word, the more sin God seems to point out in your life? And you ever found that sometimes that gets really uncomfortable? And God digs and digs and seeks to work those things out of your life? Why is he doing that? To draw you closer to himself. To make you more like him. We must commit to truly being like God 
to be near to God. That begins at salvation and continues throughout our lives. That we, we, we need to hate sin more and love God and the things that he loves more every day. And that's seen not only in our actions, that, we cleanse, that God cleanses and we, and we find purification in him, but also in our attitudes towards sin. Here in verse 9, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Put that on a t-shirt. It's not the most inspirational Bible verse that you'll see over the door of a house, will you? And we read that, and at first glance, maybe that's really depressing. That James, remember, commands that followers of God should be lamenting, mourning, and weeping. This literally means to be grieved or to be miserable, to experience deep remorse, and then to outwardly manifest these attitudes. That's what these three words entail. In fact, James commands that we turn laughter and joy into these things with gloom. That word gloom is dejection and a downcast countenance. So what is James advocating here? Is he, is he calling for us to go through life with such attitudes? Is it not true that there resides in Christians the joy of the Lord? That's very much true. That's a defining part. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and all the rest of the seven, you know, the other seven that are there. And that joy is only found, though, when proper attitudes towards sin are taking are taken. Those who do not know the Lord find glory in sin. Proverbs 14, 9, fools mock at sin. But among the upright, there is favor. Those who do not know the Lord will revel in their wrongdoing. Maybe you've come in contact with some like that. That seem to find glory in sin. That maybe you walk up to the, to the group around the water cooler at at work, and you heard some things you didn't really want to hear. That the, the person in front of you at the store was, was laughing and carrying on about something they shouldn't be laughing and carrying on about. If we are truly going to be close to God, our attitudes towards sin must shift to be like God's. But even in the lives of Christians, our sin and sinful actions sometimes are a joke. Or we look at something that was sinful and we go, oh, that's kind of funny. You cannot know God as Savior and you cannot live for God the way he wants you to live until you're willing to view sin his way. And until the ugliness of your sin disgusts you and you see the hopelessness of it, you will not turn to Jesus Christ. But when you see it for what it truly is, you can hate it. Just as God hates it. When we who know Christ seek to grow in him, we must take this view of sin. And no, this is not a call to a gloom and doom lifestyle. I once knew a guy like this when I was in college. Let me tell you, he hated sin. He hated sin so much that it seemed like he hated himself more than anybody else. It was the most depressing thing in the world to sit down and pray with this guy. I have to be honest with you. Because he spent the entire time talking about how, just, just praying full of self-loathing and dejection and, oh, I can't believe God, it's possible you would love me. And it was just, it was awful. Let me just be honest. 
You know, I'm more like, hey, God save me. This is great, you know. There's a balance, isn't there? We need to see sin in its seriousness. And we need to see the glory and amazing work of God to save us from that sin. We must adopt this attitude towards sin and then realize that when we do, we can draw close to God and be filled with his joy. But that joy is predicated on commitment to viewing sin properly. So drawing near to God is dependent on thinking and acting in godly ways towards God's enemy, that is sin. The author A.W. Tozer said it this way, that nearness is likeness. The more like God we are, the nearer to God we will be. It has nothing to do with physical location, but attitudes and actions. Let me illustrate it to you this way. If I am sitting at home this afternoon, and by some miracle the cat decides to grace me with his presence, and he sits on my lap, and across the room sits my wife, in the sense that nearness is likeness, who am I nearer to, the cat or my wife? I hope my wife. Because the cat and I are not the same. Physically, we're closer, but we're not near one another in, the, in this sense. Do you desire revival in your heart? Do you long to be close to God once again? Though we live in a sinful world, we can be so very near to God based on our actions and attitudes towards him and our sin. We can be near him because we, be, we can be like him in, his, in him. If you want to experience true joy and fulfillment, then you and I, we need to get serious about sin. We need to get serious about how we feel about sin in our own lives. That we don't excuse it, that we don't compare it to other people that we don't compare to what others do, but we seek the Lord's help to eradicate it and to get rid of its cancerous nature in our lives. You cannot be near to God until you're willing to think and act in a godly way. And when we do this, God will meet us there and will help us in these things. But to do this, it takes true humility. And this is the last thing we see in this passage today in verse 10, that nearness to God necessitates humility. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, there is a necessity of humility in our lives. James now returns to the theme of the Old Testament quotation. He, he said in verse 6, he said, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He returns to this theme now with, of humility before God. To draw close to God, true humility, or, or making oneself low before God is needed. You cannot weep and mourn over sin and properly see it the way God sees it unless you humble yourself before God. You cannot find God's cleansing and purification unless you humbly admit your sinful state. It is absolutely necessary to humble yourself before God in order to fully know God. Humility is a hard thing. It strives against our human, sinful, pride-laden nature, doesn't it? 
I mean, doesn't it just shock you when you actually meet someone who's humble? Or at least seems to be, right? It just, it just kind of blows you away because we all know our own hearts. We all know what, what that's like. But God gives us the opportunity to humble ourselves and enjoy a relationship with him. If you will humble yourself before the Lord, you will find that he will meet you there. If you will humble yourself before him, you will find salvation. But make no mistake that if you will not humble yourself before God, if you will not come to him, one day you will. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This verse does not say that one day, everyone who came to know Jesus Christ as Savior is going to confess him as Lord, does it? What does it say? That every knee shall bow. That every tongue shall shall confess. My pastor growing up used to say, all means all, that's all all means. All are going to bow before God. Whether you come to him in this life or not, you will acknowledge who he is. But here, God has given you the opportunity to settle your eternity with him. But if you do not humble yourself and come to him for salvation, you will be humbled when you leave this earth, and then it will be too late. So I encourage and implore you to come to him today to see yourself as God sees you, a sinner who is separated from God because of sin. And in your sin, living contrary to his holy nature. And if you will humble yourself, and will draw near to him, he will meet you there and do wondrous things for you. James says, humble yourself on the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. The result of the humility is the lifting up of God. God's economy works far different than man's economy. Because we think the one who humbles himself will forever stay low. But God says the opposite is true. The one who humbles himself before the Lord will be exalted. In salvation, God exalts all who come to him, and he gives to them the glorious gift of eternal life. Let me refer you back to a few verses we read this morning from Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This is the exaltation that God gives to all who come to him in salvation. He makes them a child of himself to live with him for all of eternity. And in the light of God's holiness, we can see who we really are and find new life in him. That is true exaltation, to be given new life. The one who thinks he is okay and continues in his sin, will find the opposite to be true. He is not okay. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God never lets down those who trust in him. And as a Christian, you are called to be consumed to live for the Lord. And that takes continued humility in your life. It's very easy to live for ourselves. You ever found that to be true? It's very easy to live for ourselves. Which is, by the way, why God tells us that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's very easy to give in to our own desires. It's very easy to take even the good things and turn them into opportunities to advance and exalt ourselves. It is very easy to take opportunities to serve the Lord. People say, oh, thank you. Thank you for serving the Lord. And you say, I know. I'm such a humble servant. Right? And we, we even use those things to prop ourselves up. And serve our own agendas. But God calls us to be different. To live humbly before him that we may be near him and experience what we talked about at the beginning, true victory over our sin. And if we do so, he'll take care of the exaltation. He'll take care of the rewards. And if you serve God faithfully your entire life, you may never see a physical reward for serving God. But you know what? You're going to enter eternity. It's going to be a much different story. You say, well, I wonder how many rewards I'll get in heaven for serving God. You know, I don't really think you and I are going to really care about that anymore because we're going to be in the presence of God. So, will there be rewards? Absolutely. But the best reward will be in the presence of our Savior. Rewards are promised to God's faithful followers who come humbly to serve and serve Him. And what we see again is that because nearness to God is found in His holiness, I must place my trust in Him for salvation and seek His likeness and sanctification to enjoy true closeness to Him. God's grace reaches out to us, offering us the opportunity to draw near to Him. If you do not know Him as your Savior, if you have not placed your faith in Him and Him alone, for your eternal destiny, he is calling to you today. He's offering you eternal life. Your eternal soul and your eternal destiny can be settled through faith in him alone. There is real hope and real victory over sin and real victory over the devil, but it's found in him alone. He is calling and asking you to trust him with your life and your soul. He is seeking your assent to his lordship over, his, over your life. And if you do this, you are assured of eternity with him. There is eternal exaltation available to all to come to him, that come to him. And there are probably many, if not most in this room, who say, I've trusted in Christ as my Savior. Well, how do you live for him? Do you live in a way that draws near to God? Do you submit to him and resist the devil's temptations regularly? Someone has well said you are as close to God as you want to be. Distance from God isn't because of God, but because of us. He is the one who has given us the ability to draw near. If you would indulge me for just a minute and turn back to Hebrews chapter 7. 
This morning I was sitting back in the same chair I referenced at the beginning and read my Bible and this, this was the passage I read today and just jumped out and grabbed me when I was thinking about what we're going to talk about this morning. Ephesians 7 verses 18 and 19. It's talking about the context of this is, again, Jesus and Melchizedek and how Jesus is a better priest than of Aaron because he is the priest and the king. It says, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. So the law cannot bring us to God. God established the law and he established worship, but it was never going to save men from their sin. It was never going to bring them near Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we, what? Draw near to God. Jesus Christ brings us near. So how do you draw near to God? Knowing him as your savior, yes, that's where it starts. Then two, by being like him. And how do we become like him? Well, by spending time with him. The word of God shows us how to cleanse our lives of sin and to purify our hearts that we may draw near to the Lord. Take the commands of God through James to heart and make your life one consumed with drawing near to God. When is the last time that you open the word of God on your own and ask God to speak to you through it and change something in your life because of what God had done through his word in your heart? Or is the word of God just something we check off every day? I did that. The word of God has serious ramifications on our life. And you and I cannot be close to God if we won't obey him. We have to understand that sin will always separate us from God. Drawing near to God is just like drawing near to anyone else. It takes time and investment. It means making him the priority and being willing to eliminate anything in our lives that hinders that relationship or taking into our lives whatever we need to 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 make us more like him. And if you want that type of relationship, you can have it in him. And so in just a minute, we're going to close in prayer. And and as we do, I would encourage you to, to pray to God. To respond to him however it is that he is calling you to respond. Maybe God has shown you something in your life that you need to change. That that he has says, look, I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the ability. I'm going to give you the help to do so. But you need to take action. Would you commit to doing that today? It's really easy, by the way, to say it here. You're going to get in the car and go home and start thinking about lunch, and then it's not going to seem like such a big deal anymore, okay? I can say that because I have experienced that many times over in my own life. But maybe you sit here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have some questions about that or you wonder about that. I would love the opportunity to spend time with you looking at the Word of God showing you how you can know him as your personal savior. Or maybe you have struggled and fought over a sin in your life, and you say, you know, Pastor, I just need some help. I need some accountability. I need some direction in the word of God. I'd be happy to meet with you and talk to you about anything you want to talk about. And again, look at the word of God with you and see what it has to say. My wife's available. I'm available. 
We just want to be able to, to help in any way that we can in your Christian walk, in, the, in, the, in, in, in your life. But God longs for us to draw near to him. May we, by his grace, long to be close to him as well. Father, we thank you for how much you long to be with us, how much you long and desire to be close to us, your personal creation. Lord, we thank you for making us in your image. We thank you that, that we're not just another animal. Lord, we are the pinnacle of your personal work here on earth, human beings. And Lord, even in spite of our sin, you love us. Lord, you love us so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Lord, may we never lose sight of this amazing power. Lord, would you convict us today of our sin? Would you give us true victory over our sin in you? Would you give us the courage, the ability in you to make those decisions, whatever it is we need to make to get rid of that. Lord, sometimes we have to make a decision that other people scratch their heads at, but because we know this is what we have to do in order to be right with you, we have to eliminate some things out of our lives because, God, there's nothing greater than being right with you. Lord, I pray that you would work in the heart of one who hears this, who doesn't know you as Savior, that you would impress on them their need to trust you. And give them the courage to seek out the answers of salvation. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we close this service. That you would help us to fellowship with one another in love and in, in glory to you. Lord, would you bring us back here tonight to worship you some more. In your name we pray. Amen.